You're very welcome along to the Brian and Kieran Warfield podcast, the ramblings of two Irish balladeers, featuring Brian Warfield of the fierce and mighty Wolf Tones and his son Kieran, that's me, of the band Catalpa, and also of the bandwagon bus Dublin's only musical ballad tour on wheels. So sit back, relax, grab a tea, coffee, beer, or wine, or whatever takes your fancy, as we go rambling through life's misty, foggy dew, through stories, songs, history, politics, life on the road, and just a general bit of crack. The Louse House in Kilkenny, number five track off the Foggy Dew album, uh, recorded in 1965 on Fontana label by the Wolf Tones. Takes me back in time, no doubt about it, because <laughs> yeah, that's uh, one of the f- one of the first songs we had. The kind of gang 
that uh, we sang together with um, and Noel Nagel's brother-in-law, uh, Tony Butler. He was only going out with his sister at the time and um, he had a good collection of songs. Everybody had a little collection and the song they sang and that was one of his. And uh, we got it often because we, we often sang together as a group and Tony Tony went his own way. I don't, he was working in Ireland and I think he was making more money in Ireland than going out singing music. <laughs> but... Uh, Anyhow, we got the song from him and uh, we put it on our first LP. But we had been singing around uh, since about 1963 and we probably singing that song since then. So the, it just, it was obvious when we go to, went to record that uh, it was one of the songs we put on. Again, it's one of the songs that the Dubliners will be more famous for um, rather than the Wolf Tones, even though you rec- recorded it first. And the first recording I could find of it was from 1952 uh, and it was recorded on a BBC um, programme. Really? Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I guess it's around a, long, a lot longer than that because like um, you heard, that, you know, the 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 Louse House or the lodging houses that they had around the, the country and around England and Scotland and everywhere, you know, had these tales of big bugs that would bite you. <laughs> and, um, you know, uh, they had the, the, at one stage, uh, my uncle Tom used to tell me about um, having this uh, place that what they did was they, you had to sleep standing up. So everybody slept in a row standing up and they had, you had a, a kind of a harness that went around you to keep you, you could lean on the harness thing and uh, that's the way everyone went to, to sleep on the night. So there could be like 20 or 30 people in the room. Jesus. <laughs> Sounds like fun. And in the morning, if you didn't wake up, they cut the rope and you all fell down. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've stayed in a few guest houses now that you could say call last Lowe's houses. Yeah, you must have stayed in a few on your, on your travels around the oh, road. Oh, tell me about it. Like, another song, I think, that uh, tells about the, the story of, um, of big bugs eating away the poor people. And that was uh, the night we went to Rozio. And uh, that was a kind of a Scottish version of, of the Louse House in Kilkenny, you might say. But they had big, huge bugs there that were as big as dogs. <laughs> <laughs> so there was always a bit of an exaggeration. But, you know, the Irish, um, as, a, as a people um, travelling around um, uh, for harvest, uh, harvest time and for planting time across the, uh, Scotland and England, and they went to plant the harvest and then went back again to reap the harvest. So they stayed in some awful places. And, uh, you know, because it was cheap, they didn't have the money to go anywhere else. But, yeah, we did a few queer ones ourselves because when we went, uh, we went first uh, on tour, the dance halls in, um, in England, um, you know, the dance hall puts you up in a place wherever it be. It's normally a guest house, but they put you into billets. We used to call them billets. I, I remember one night we were staying in this place. It was about, there must have been about 10, 12 beds in the, in the room. And I guess there was a show band staying there. <laughs> we were staying there. We were a lot of four beds anyhow. And, uh, you know, there was all kinds of shenanigans going on in the in, in the room. There was, uh, I won't tell it all, but I mean, it was just amazing. That, ah, uh, tell us. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, they, they might have had little girlfriend guests and all that kind of thing going on. 
But uh, you know, it was uh, it was just that's the way it was. And, and you know, if you went on tour, you weren't put up in a luxury hotel. That's for sure. It was a guest house. It was normally a billet. It was normally a couple of bands staying in the one place. And uh, you know, you made the most of it. And uh, you were probably called at about eight o'clock in the morning, so to get the to get the beds ready for the next shift. <laughs> But uh, that's that's what we went through, and they 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 wouldn't have been the most hygienic places in the world. Yeah, I think when I went on uh, my first tour of the east coast of America, uh, we stayed above this pub in Highland Mills in uh, in uh, New York, upstate New York, uh, for a good few nights, and. Uh, I wouldn't say it was. The, it was definitely wasn't the Ritz. It wasn't five star. Uh, no. So when we moved up to Syracuse and out to Pennsylvania, we were delighted because we got the we had booked hotel rooms for that. So just to have a bit of luxury, but yeah. it was grand. It suited because we, you know, we weren't earning a lot of money when we were over there. So you yeah, just well, have to cut it. your budget to it, like you know. Yeah. Well, you, you know, you don't want to go on tour and then not spend all your money in hotels. No. You have to bring back something to keep the the home fires burning, but. Uh, yeah, we stayed in, but you know, when we played the old shielding in New York, um, the old shielding in New York is, it was an old building and uh, I had the, 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 the sub, subway, the, 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 you know, the, the subway running past it, it used to go through our brain, but um, yeah, they, the conditions there were terrible and um, you know, we made the best. We clean up, go and get the sheets washed, and we all had a room each. But uh, the, you know, the, the, the hygiene of uh, the bed clothes and everything else were great. So as soon as we got there, we went to the laundry and we washed everything and cleaned the place down and made the be- made the most of it. But uh, you know, it was free. Yeah, you get more than fleas off it. <laughs> <laughs> You go, you go in a cripple and you come out walking. Well, it it'll probably give you good, uh, good protection against COVID, if you. <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah. An injection of, from a some kind of a bug. So, um, this week is the 40th anniversary of the hunger strike. Uh, it's the start of uh, the first day of uh, Bobby Sands going on hunger strike, um, and. Uh, You'd remember that time more than me, Dad. I was, well, 1981, I was 12. Yeah. Well, just to go back on the hunger strike idea, uh, the hunger strike goes back to pre-Christian times. And uh, it was used to protest against somebody that uh, had done some kind of uh, preconceived injustice to you. And it was the age of hospitality. And hospitality in Ireland was... was um, part of the Irish system and for someone to starve themselves outside your door or your castle was a terrible um, terrible uh, embarrassment to the owner of the house because having uh, starved outside the house in a place in a country where the culture was to give hospitality to all was not um, was not a good thing it would embarrass the family and embarrass everybody so it was used to um, to uh, get back on some kind of injustice. It could be money owed. It could be, you know, something about cattle or sheep or whatever. But that's the way it was. And then it moved on, you know, in later days. It was embedded in, uh, you know, the Irish system. And, you know, in the in the 19, 19, uh, 1919s and the 1920s, you know, we about all the hunger strikes there, the mayor of Cork, Terence McSweeney, in Brixton Prison. 
Um, we had uh, Thomas Ash, of course, and he was in Mount Jai prison. And normally what they did uh, when people went on hunger strike, they didn't want them to die, and so they force-fed them. And by force-feeding them, it was worse because it was like a like a torture and they died uh, during that process, maybe of heart attacks, of other things. And, you know, so the hunger strike is kind of like history repeats itself in Ireland. Every generation went through all those things. And, you know, when it came up to our time in 1980s, um, you know, the hunger strike idea was still in the Irish, uh, in the Irish uh, ideas and uh, in the Republican ideas. And so... Um, I think the first hunger strike that went on, uh, there was nine people who went on that hunger strike. It lasted 94 days. And uh, what happened was that uh, they, they thought that the, the British had conceded to their uh, demands. But as we know, they, negle they, they, they um, neglected to carry through on it and reneged on, on the whole deal. And um, they brought them in clothes that were looked like civilian clothes, but they weren't their own. <laughs> they had to, everyone had to wear the same civilian clothes. So that was out the wall. That wasn't what it's all about. Yeah. It was about political status. So, you know, that followed on. And, you know, you know, right through the years, uh, uh, hunger strike idea, there was over 10,000 people went on hunger strike uh, throughout the ages. Wow. And uh, that'll tell you how important it was in protesting against injustice. But to come up to our, to come up to our present day um, hunger strike, which is, you know, the, the, the second one that went on, and that started off with Bobby Sands. And, you know, it went on for some time, and I was playing around Ireland, and a hunger strike was a, just a terrible thing. Every it seemed every month if somebody was dying and nobody was caring and nobody was crying, stop. You know what's this all about? Um, Thatcher at the time, of course, had no sympathy for hunger strikers. Uh, there were terrorists in his uh, her eyes, and uh, so it was. When when the fifth hunger striker died, I was in bed, and uh, just after the gig, I don't know where I was the night before, but I'm listening to the news, the radio beside the bed, and it gives the news that the that the fifth hunger striker had died. Joe McDonald was his name, and uh, I kind of got mad, and I said, "Nobody's caring. This is terrible." And uh, I said, "I got to write a song to try and stop this." So I grabbed the guitar, got out of bed, grabbed the guitar, walked around the room like a, like a maniac, walking around and around, um, got the idea for the song, sang it, and um, by midday that day, that day, I had the song written. And I always feel that, uh, you know, Granny MacDonald said to me at one stage, she said, how did you know? How did you know so much about uh, Joe? And I said, I didn't. But I certainly felt that he was there beside me um, writing it and giving me hints of, on his life. And it's just a kind of a psychic experience that I had that, you know, everything came out in that way. And, you know, by, by 12 o'clock that day, this whole song was written. And, you know, the words that uh, I think they're probably the, the, the mean the most is, you know, that you dare to call me a terrorist while you look down your gun when I think of all the deeds that you had done. So it's pushing it back. They, they were labelling our people, our great uh, 
people in Ireland as terrorists. And while they had done and more terrorist acts in our country than anybody else. So I felt to push it back on them, saying, you dare to call me a terrorist while you look down your gun. When I think of all the deeds that you have done, you had plundered many nations, divided many lands. You had terrorised their peoples. You ruled with an Ireland, Ireland hand, Ireland hand. So we know all that. And, you know, that was across the empire, India and everywhere else. Mahatma Gandhi was another person who took up the hunger strike idea. And many of the many of the people in India took it up. So um, they followed Ireland's example and, and how they went about it. And it was a peaceful way of protesting and um, a very effective way. Mm. And do you think Thatcher, because she was a woman in a man's world, do you think that's one of the reasons why she tried to be hard and, you know, not just in the hunger strikes, but in the minor strike in, in the UK? Do you think because she was a woman in the in the political world, you know, there wasn't many women at that time in, in politics as such. And uh, do you think that's why she was a complete bitch or just... <laughs> <laughs> well, she... Uh, well, uh, that, that, to my mind, that was the nature of the woman, you know, and that's why she rose through the ranks. And uh, she was uh, an intransigent kind of person and uh, no give or no... no she no sympathy for anybody, never mind, you know, the people, the working class people in England had the same problem with her as we had in Ireland. And she was, um, she was, had this dictatorial kind of attitude and uh, nobody, nobody dare say boo to her. And if you did, you know, you took the wrath of her mouth or a handbag, whatever she <laughs> came, whatever came first, you get a belt over the head with a handbag. But yeah, I think because she, maybe because she was a woman in, the, in a man's world, she might have felt that she had to go, uh, had to be... Um, Ruthless. Yeah, yeah. But uh, that doesn't excuse... I'm not excusing yeah, it, but yeah, I, yeah. I, I seen a documentary about her and I think at the end when she was being interviewed, I think she had regrets now, maybe... Just when you're coming near the deathbed, you have plenty of regrets. But I'm not too sure whether she was regretting the hunger strike, but other things, you know, uh, I felt that she was um, almost like looking for contrition on it, like, you know. Well, that's possible, yeah, because she would have needed a, a little hand. And, you know, like as, as I said in the poem one time, that, you know, if you're not Irish going up to heaven, you have a problem. <laughs> <laughs> Because certainly, like, uh, the hunger strikers would have met her up there and kicked her, kicked her around the place <laughs> somewhere down below. <laughs> yeah. As I say in my new song, Thatcher and the Devil now share the same cell. <laughs> <laughs> there you go, that's yeah. for sure. Yeah. But uh, we know other people like uh, Michael Gaughan and Frank Stagg and, you know, who gave their lives on hunger strike. And, you know, there's so many people um, across the ages, you know, two men... Danny Barry, Andrew O'Sullivan, they died uh, during the, 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 the um, Second World War when De Valera um, uh, imprisoned many of the Republican uh, cohort of people. So, you know, it continued on through the ages. And, 
It's, it's just that way in Ireland, as I said, goes back to pre-Christian times. If you wanted to protest peacefully and embarrass the person uh, who um, caused you injust- an injustice, that was the way to get back at them. Mm. There were, like I remember being a 12-year-old that I remember all the black flags being out. So there was a, a support for the hunger strike down here down south um, maybe not politically wise but definitely the, the will of the people were behind a lot of the hunger strikers and that I think showed up in wasn't it the British Embassy was burnt out in that's after Bloody Sunday was that after yeah, Bloody yeah, Sunday that was it? after Bloody Sunday yeah, yeah. no you had um, you had uh, indeed um, you know the hunger strikes in in uh, in um, in in uh, the, when it happened, when it, you know the the, the hunger strikes, uh, Bobby Sands and everybody else, you know, you had the problem that uh, the Irish people, I think, were very sympathetic towards it. I think it changed everything for the Irish people because, you know, um, while Bobby Sands became an MP, Kieran mm. uh, Doherty uh, um, became an, uh, got into the doll. Mm. Agnew got into the doll. So there was a great sympathy for the hunger strike in, in Ireland. So they voted three people into power mm. uh, because of it. So I think in a way that um, the Irish people were very, very sympathetic. It would see, it's in the psychic of the Irish people about the hunger strike and people who, are, who, who do this. It's, it's right, goes back to centuries. So it means something to Irish people. Yeah. And I think that's why they took it up and uh, they wanted to, um, they wanted to uh, you know, redress the situation and support them. Yeah, and the five demands were quite simple demands. Oh, yes. I have them here. So the first one was the right not to wear a prison uniform, which you had already said. The second one was the right not to do prison work. The third one was the right of free association with other prisoners. The fourth one, the right to organize their own educational and recreational facilities. And the fifth one was the right to one visit, one letter and one parcel per week. So mm. not really like they were asking for TVs or Playstations or <laughs> anything like that. You know, they were quite simple and human, probably human right dem- demands in, in terms of how they, they felt and the special special category statuses. And I think that's why Bobby picked the 1st of March, because that's when Britain were inter- taking away the the special category status. Mm. Yeah, well, look, you know, they, they were brave men uh, to go through that... Um that to go through with the hunger strike, you know, you'd have to question yourself: Would you do it? <laughs> it's a definite, it's a, a difficult thing to do to starve yourself in protest. Well, you really have to believe in what you're doing to to be able to put yourself through through that, like you know, and to know that you're going to do it to the end, like you know, that basically your last days on earth are yeah going to be without food or water. Yeah, terrible. And they, they go through terrible suffering. And, and, you know, we don't understand that, but, uh, you know, God helped them and God blessed them in the same way that they, you know, they, they did make a statement. They had the courage to go ahead with what they, they said they would do. And, uh, you know, I think they'll be forever remembered. Yeah, it must have been very hard on the families, you know, because they had the choice to take them off off of uh, the hunger yeah that's that's that, that's that has to be you know terrible 
ordeal for the family. You know, they they have the power to do it, to stop it. And if they do, they know that their son would be very annoyed over it or... So it was a difficult decision for them. You know, how could you let your son die? And then, you know, if you don't let him die, he, he, he'd be at, angry at you for the rest of his life. Yeah. So it's just a tough, tough time for everybody. Yeah. Have you ever met any of the hunger strikers that um, were on that hunger strike, but then when it was the, the first one? I did, yeah. I, did, I met Brendan Hughes and... Uh, um, uh, who else? I can't remember now. But uh, yeah, I did meet some of the people that were on it, and they were they were going to the death too. There was no doubt about it. But uh, they were conned at the end of the day, and um, I remember reading about that. Yeah, yeah they were conned, and um, you know, it was sad that they, you know, they um, they gave in and were conned out of the, the the effort that they had put into it, and you know. But it made them more determined for the second one. To, the second one, yeah, yeah. You know, that they weren't, unle- until they had everything in writing and done Yeah, well, there were seven prisoners went on the first one in, in 1980. And coming up to that Christmas, I remember um, they were, they were, um, they didn't want people to die over the Christmas period. And so they made this uh, agreement and it appeared to be, what they wanted and uh, I think with the pressure was on uh, to stop people dying over the Christmas period yeah. and uh, so they conned them the best way they could and they did and uh, they reneged on what they promised them so you know just um, the second hunger strike then had to go ahead because uh, they weren't going to accept the conditions that were given to them yeah the protests were going on, you know, since 1976. Uh, the Blanca protests, as it was known, and that was that was for the for the same th- aims, which was, you know, political status, and uh, you know the dirty po- protests and everything else like that. I remember the the parades and when we pl- played concerts um, around the country, there was always like a there was always like a, a, the Blanca protest there and. Uh, you know, people supporting the the blanket men, and that that uh, that was indeed. Uh, I've met some of them lads since then, yeah. and uh, they like they've often come up up after the gig and said, you know, um, I think we had a photograph of of the blanket men up on on the screen, and this guy came up and said, that's me yeah. <laughs> up there the thing, and you know. It's like the, nice to make that connection with the people who lived that ordeal and were living uh, people of that historic time. Yeah, it was a living hell, really. Like especially when oh, they yeah. went on the on the no wash dirty protest after that, when they went into that. Mm. That was like to live like that with blankets and yeah, they, well, broke, they broke up their bed and they, you know, they did everything to make their life as much a hell to get them to stop you know yeah yeah well brave man indeed yeah so where do we go from here I know <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to a gig somewhere <laughs> well if you've got nothing I've got uh, this I don't know whether you've ever read this this is uh, Bobby Sands um, poem called The Crimes of Castle Ray. oh no yeah 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 read that that'd be nice 
Unfortunately, I can't read it all because it's about 130 something verses long. Oh, well, don't read it. <laughs> <laughs> but it gives you a little um, insight into Bobby's. This, it, it's his time in Castle Ree when he was getting interrogated, and then it moves on to Long Cash. Yeah, uh, yeah. But it's yeah. beautifully written, and if you ever have the time, I'll, I'll leave this with you. He, he, was a, he was a great writer. I mean, it, 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 great ideas. You know, he's, he's almost a, a Paddy Pierce type. Um, Example from the 1980s, yeah. you know what I mean? It's it's just um, like some of his songs are still stand the test of time. Like the I still do McElhatton, I still do Back Home in Derry, which was one of the first um, songs, Irish songs that I learned to sing. Yeah, yeah. And uh, even though he used the music of the Wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald, yeah, yeah, it's still a great song. Like you know, just yeah, yeah. yeah. But his, his poetry and all is just. I yeah, he's yeah. he's a poet. Yeah. No doubt about it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And that's why when I wrote the song Bobby, now there's been loads of songs written about Bobby, but I always imagined what it would have been like to sit down and write a, a song with him. So the only way I could do that was I took two verses from the Crimes of Castlery, mm-hmm. and uh, the which the, which became the chorus more or less. But I had to change a few words so it fit in with the music. But the first verse of his poem was I scratched my name but not for fame upon the whitened wall Bobby Sands was here I wrote with fear in an awful shaky scrawl I wrote it low where eyes don't go t'was but to testify that I was saying and not to blame should here I come to die lovely lovely verse yeah. isn't it but the whole the whole thing like the like, there's verses and verses of it you can see there yourself yeah like yeah it's, yeah it's what I have many one two three Four, five, six A4 six. sheets, mm. and there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, twelve, 12. verses. Oh my God! Yeah, so six twelves was that. Mm. Well, his ideas it shows that you know the they were uh, intelligent, uh, deep thinking um, individuals, and uh, who had the uh, you know brave ideas, and uh, they they followed through with them, and uh, just remarkable man. Yeah. Like here's another verse just describing in the I stewed like a rat in porter fat, fermenting drunk with fear. When would they come? Would be the one. The time was drawing near. I worried sick and scurried quick, like a blind man in a storm. I had no course but followed force of terror's blasting horn. Oh my god. Yeah. So some, poignant, isn't it? Yeah. Some great some great uh It's very descriptive. Yeah. So um if anyone's at the time, you can you can pretty much um, download it or have a look at it on on the internet. Just type in the crimes of Castlery, and it almost comes out as a it's like a a play of uh, of his time in Castlery, the Diplock Court afterwards, and then into mm. incarceration in in Longkesh. So it, it it goes from there up to the uh, up to the end, is it? Well not up to the hunger strike, like, I don't no, think. No, no, no. Just, no, up just to this time in turn or in the maze. In the, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. See the, the see the way the, the British, you know, the they change uh, they change the names of places like all the time to stop you know the bad uh, the bad image of it. Yeah. I remember, you know, first of all it was Longkesh. Yeah. <laughs> Then, then it became what did it become the the maze, the maze was it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's just from the area. That and it was then, in. then the H blocks. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So like, 
uh, people wonder, is that the same place where the torture took place? <laughs> no, 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 that, that's the, you know what I mean? They keep changing the names. Yeah. Uh, like, like the way um, the, 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 the Queens of England had to change, or the King of England had to change uh, from Battenburger to the Windsors. <laughs> Get rid of that German name. They, oh, yeah. You know, it didn't change the people. So, um, the last verse of it is actually where he goes, Nor do we bend to black-clad men when torture screams is shrill. They who slight God's given right of each to his free will. So bend the back upon the rack of the H-block torture mill. Oh dear, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I'll leave that here with you, Dad. You can have a read. Yeah, yeah, that's very interesting yeah. indeed, yeah. You'll enjoy it, I promise you that. So, um, I guess what we'll do is at the end of this, this show, because we started with the Louse House in Kilkenny, is finish out with Joe MacDonald just as a poignant re- reminder of the 1981 H-Blocks. Yeah. yeah. Which, uh, as you say, 40 years. Yeah. How 40 years go, go so fast, don't they? Yeah. No, really but do. still remembered fondly. Like I was looking at uh, Facebook last night, and the amount of uh, now I did a, a live show just dedication to it, which mm. I just did all music from uh, different people that had been written over the years. Uh, in with regards to the H Block, uh, the men in the H Block or the hunger strike, and the amount of songs that are out there. Like I thought I'd be only on for about an hour. Or, uh, I was on for nearly two hours. Like, oh my god! And uh, so. Some great songs, like it was a couple of songs by Jerry Glacken, a song by Claymore, which I'd, I'd never heard, a lovely song about Raymond McCreesh. Um, I think that might have been, who, who did that originally? I'm nearly sure it's Big Pat that plays with Sheebean now, I think his band originally mm. did that. And uh, yeah, some great songs and uh it's great to see them being remembered now, you know, by I'm looking through Facebook and there's lots of young people, you know, going back to, and Bobby Sands obviously kept a diary of his, uh, of his hunger strike of his first day until mm-hmm. he, I think it got to a point where he couldn't, uh, he couldn't right, write it anymore. anymore. Yeah. Now I've read them, but a long, long time ago, like I've, at the, in, my, in my early days of reading, I wrote, I read a lot about the like, Ten Men Dead and mm-hmm. a few of them books. I think I got the Ten Men Dead off you. I think you might have had it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but great books, um, but harrowing read. Like you know, when you're reading through it of what they, Terrible, of what yeah, they endured, it. you know. And it's great to see them remembered the way they should be. Like you know, so. Um, and they are, and uh, you know, as you say, like you know, it's. I think it's another thing, another Irish thing is that, you know, because uh, many of the people who gave their lives for Ireland, we we couldn't build build a a monument to to everyone. But by writing a song in honour of the person who died with their life and story behind it is like a a monument Mm -hmm. uh, to their memory. Yeah. And it's, I think it's an Irish idea that has gone on for centuries. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, and so I was proud to make that contribution. Uh, people often ask, why don't you write a song about that hunger striker, this hunger striker? Uh, it just, it, you, can't, you do one and it kind of exhausts your, um, your ideas yeah. on that one. If you go back and try and... Um, tell a story uh, once again about another hunger strike which is 
in a way very much the same story. The same so, story, yeah. Just yeah the, so yeah, you find it hard unless you get some kind of, you know, real uh, different idea yeah. uh, that that will work. But uh, uh, you know. I, I don't think it worked to be writing songs about every hunger striker that ever went on. Anyhow, you'd be doing 10,000. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you're right. And I don't think you could ever surpass John MacDonald anyway. I think what you've, you've said everything you needed to say in that song, you know. Um, I mean, I wasn't even going to write that song, Bobby. It was just the fact that I had always imagined what it would have been like to write a song with Bobby Sands. And it was just when I had read that um, Crimes of Castle Ray. Yeah, it's a that, kind of poem. That, that I said I'm going to use some words from that and put it mm. into a song and mm-hmm. you know then I felt like I, I wrote with Bobby um, so it was a nice thing to do and you know I was very happy with it I'm still very happy to sing the song and I like it um, so my contribution to tribute to it even though there, Bobby probably has I don't know I think I did maybe six songs that were <laughs> done on him well I, I remember like we were down in Cork somewhere and uh, uh this this guy came up to me and he said, I have a great song for you. Uh, in a Cork accent, of course. And I said, I, I said, uh, I said uh, what's, what's it like? So it's, he comes over to me and he sings in my ear, you know, and he goes, Hey, Bobby Sands. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, like this country uh, and Western voice and, and, uh, my God, it was uh, it, it was a, a terrible song altogether. But I, you know, I had to compliment him on you know his efforts and everything else like that. But yeah, you can't say that's you right. Can't, you can't say. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, you have that. You have. I, you get that a lot of yeah. people, and, and God bless them. They're trying their best to write a, a, a song. Yeah. Uh, you know that hopefully somebody will record and take on and bring fame to the world for them. But in their mind, in your mind, like whoever, the mind of the writer, it, it's a great song in your mind, like, you know. Yeah, well, uh, that's it. And yeah. and yeah, it's, you know, it has to be, when it gets out there to the world, it has to be accepted by the world. And if it isn't, you know, like. You know, it's shite. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not easy. I think you have to, you either have to be, have a talent for it or you have to work very hard at it yeah. and write a lot. Yeah. You know, I don't think, you know, there's maybe 10% of the world are naturally talented at songwriting and have that, you know, the 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 head for it. And then there's the rest, probably 60% that can do it, but by doing hard it a lot, work. hard work, yeah. yeah. And then you've got... Well, it, 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 doesn't, it doesn't come easy. No. Because if it did, everybody would do it. Yeah, no. And, and uh, you, you have to... Um, you have to work on it, and uh, some songs come easy, and some songs come very hard. Which which part do you find the easiest? The, the the melody or the words? Well, you know when when I I I, I do it both ways really, and uh, sometimes the melody comes into my mind, and I take it and I save it somewhere, put it on the phone, save it somewhere, and then I look back at it, and normally when you look back at it. How the fact did I think that was good? <laughs> it was terrible. But, you know, um, so normally what I do is I, I go into the piano and I, I, start, uh, I start twinkling a couple of notes. And it, it's very important in a song 
to marry the words to a melody that suits it. You know what I mean? I gave you the example yeah. of the country and western guys singing Bobby Sands. Now, it just didn't gel. And it didn't, it was, you know, it was, the whole thing sounded wrong. And I think marrying the song, whether, if you have an idea that needs an up-tempo song, you've got to do it up-tempo. If you need a song that needs a plaintive melody, you've got to do a plaintive melody. And that's where the composing part comes in. Like, I've, I composed every single melody for all my songs, probably 120, 130 songs. So they're all brand new melodies. I, I stay away from, you know, writing a song to the air of Sean South or uh, any other melody that's around already. So eventually I sent out to the world 130 new melodies. Yeah. And uh, I think that's very important because I wouldn't feel like I was a songwriter by copying a melody and yeah. putting it giving it out to the world. No, I agree with you there on that one. Yeah, I, yeah. I don't see the point in writing words to a song that has already been done. Like, you know, just, uh, that's yeah. not writing the song, that's just changing the words. It happened, yeah. uh, it happened a lot in Ireland, yeah. that they, you know, they use the, me- the It still does, it still does. Yeah, yeah. And it, it's easy, it's easy for a song to get recognised if you use an old melody for it because everybody knows the melody anyhow, so yeah. you don't have to, you don't have to brainwash them with a new, yeah. <laughs> a new melody coming up. It takes years for songs to uh, get Catch into on. the brains yeah. of people. Yeah. And, uh, you know, um, and uh, that's the problem with uh, writing a new melody. It's difficult uh, to get recognised. But it doesn't really matter because I think, like, even though, you know, the songs I've written for Catalpa might not be very popular doesn't like if we go to a gig and we play it you know and then we play that gig regularly i get asked to do it then you know yeah, afterwards you know so but even even not even allowing for that it's just the fact that you got your music down you know that you that you yeah, wrote I think, yeah you know i, th- I think you know that you know as time goes by your music will get known better and better and better like it took took a long time um even for joe mcdonald or celtic symphony to settle into the minds of people um, because like uh, it was being played nowhere. Yeah. The only place that you could hear it was at a Wolf Tone gig. Yeah. And then other bands hadn't taken to it because they didn't hear it. Yeah. Or know it. So um, just when it gets to a certain point that uh, a lot of people have heard it, then it begins to catch uh, traction mm. and get out to the world, and which it does eventually. But it could be five years. But only if it's a good song. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so after five years, it's, it's not good. It's a shite song. <laughs> well, there you go. But that's that's the reality of the music, yeah. uh, especially in our junior music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, look at where we're at uh, 40, nearly 44 minutes now. So we'll um, we'll sign off on the, unless you have something else you'd like to say on the hunger strikes. No, I think we covered it mostly uh, at all. Um, uh, you know, I think uh, everybody remembers them with the pride that, and the dignity that they deserve. Yeah. And uh, it was my, it was um, indeed my pride uh, and joy to have written the song Joe MacDonald because I think it changed a lot of opinions all over the world. I remember people in America coming up and saying, you know, my God, that song is so 
it had me crying. I had, you know, during the show. And uh, it changed my mind about Ireland, you know, because they're hearing um, all English propaganda, really, and on the, on the news over there in America. And, you know, these men were per- terrorists and everything else. But when we played it over there in America, people changed. Like, I remember Dan Donahue, you know, a cop in New York, and he said to me, when I heard that song, he said, it completely changed my mind about mm-hmm. Ireland. So that's the that's the spirit of which it went out, and that's the spirit in which it was accepted, and that's what changed opinions. Yeah. And Americans do have... That's not their fault. It's because their media, like when I was living over there, like they're very insular in terms of like in New Jersey, they just know what happens in New yeah, Jersey. Yeah, they don't, like, don't have world news. You know, like, even what happened in New York, they couldn't, you know, apart from it's something huge, like, yeah, uh, like 9-11. Yeah, 9-11. Like, but other than that, they, mm. it's just what happens in their state, you know. Yeah, so, our, in their town maybe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like I remember being in the bar that we worked in and... and uh, you know, when you'd say you're from Ireland, they were like, oh my God, you must be so glad to get away from all the bombs and all that. I, I used to wind them up something terrible, like, you know, just yeah, yeah. like they did ask me about it. Like this, I think some of the people that, now this is back in 1989, still thought we were in quiet man, like, you know, that things were like that in Ireland. Mm. Like, because they said, how do you keep in contact with home? I said, a phone. <laughs> You know, they didn't think we had phones or anything. Carrier pigeon. <laughs> I remember I wound this uh, couple up, this old couple, and they were like, you know, they were real nice, and but they were asking some stupid questions. And I, 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 they asked me how I, I could, got in contact with home, and I said, what we do is that we, we build a phone box and we build 10 houses around it. And then the phone rings, the fella in the middle house comes out and answers and goes, guess the person in the... In the, in the and they believed every word of it. Of course and, they do. Yeah. And they were like, after a while, your man can't call me back. He says, but that must be terrible for the guy in the middle house. He must get a pain in his, his butt. And I said, no, no. She says, every two years we move on a house. <laughs> <laughs> and he's going, oh, that's good. He says, I feel so better for the guy that was in the middle. <laughs> Anyway, on that story, Great I think story. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll head off to the hills. Sign off, yeah. All right. Thanks again for listening, and we'll talk to you soon. Take care. Bye-bye. Oh, me name is Joe MacDonald. From Belfast down I came. That city I will never see again For it's in the town of Belfast I spent many happy days I love the town in oh so many ways For it's there I spent my childhood Inside a prison gate And you dared to call me a terrorist While you let down your gun 
nations divided many lands you have terrorized their peoples you rule with an iron hand and you brought this reign of terror to my land through those many months interment in the maidstone and the maze I thought about my land throughout those days Why my country was divided Why I was now in jail Imprisoned without crime or without trial
So that was Catalpa, my band, with uh, my dad's song, Joe MacDonald, uh, with the roll of honour at the end. Um, so again, folks, uh, if you liked what you heard in this episode, uh, please do share with your friends and uh, family and give us a review. And uh, we'll see you next week with uh, this episode called The Diamond. Thanks again. Slangerfall. <laughs>